The Pittsburgh Steelers have a new wide receivers coach, Frisman Jackson. Kind of came out of nowhere and surprised a lot of people because Ike Hilliard had been the team's receivers coach. And people are wondering, what's the tone for the wide receivers moving forward in the first year of having no Ben Roethlisberger? Exploring that question and a lot more with me on this show today is Brian Batko of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, a returning guest of this show. I'm Chris Carter, host of the Locked On Steelers podcast. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Steelers, your daily Pittsburgh Steelers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, bringing you your daily dose of all things of the Pittsburgh Steelers. As always, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, and YouTube. Hit the like button if you're watching this video on YouTube or subscribe to our YouTube channel for all of our daily content. We thank you for making us your first listen every day. And today's episode is brought to you by GetUpside. Just download the free GetUpside app on your phone today uh, and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back when you fill up on your next tank. Joining me today, as I said before, is Brian Batko of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's back. The Batko, man. What's up, Brian? How you been? What's up, Chris? I am a little confused, though. Like, you're, you're talking about Frisman Jackson, Steelers wide receivers. I thought... Am I not here to talk for uh, you know a half hour or whatever about the Steelers luring Tom Brady out of retirement to be their quarterback? What's up? <laughs> no, listen, listen, listen. That's the hard hitting stuff. Stop. We leave that to you guys at the. <laughs> we leave that to you guys at the Pittsburgh Post. That's what I came you guys to do. Cover that kind of... <laughs> listen, man. We I I already had a I had a brief segment about Kyler Murray and that stuff. I'm not even trying to get into Tom Brady returning and in, in, in all, in all that jazz, but um, you know, but, but it is funny when Tom Brady says never say never. And it's like, you don't, you do that. Don't you Brett Favre this? Yeah, Cause I'm not, I'm not trying. I was ready. I was ready when he said he was done. It was over with. I was like, okay, fine. We're, we don't have to consider this anymore, but he'll be back. But I do want to talk to you about Frisman Jackson and how this thing played out. Cause Brian, you're there. You're there all the time. Uh, you know, we see, we see each other a lot at the Steelers pr- practice facility. This, this, it came off to me like a blind side. Like I was like, wait, what? I kill yours. Just, just gone. How did that come off to you, and what did that say to you about the direction that they're trying to go with this receiver room? Yeah, I mean, 100%, same thing. It was, what, February 7th? I mean, you don't expect to see too many staff shakeups. I mean, you, they still need to hire uh, mm-hmm. a couple people, O-line coach and, and assistant, I guess, but and maybe outside linebackers coach. Um, but you, you don't expect to see somebody ax from the previous year this late into the game. I mean, right. I know Mike T's in wrap-up that you know, there's – change is it's just what it is in this business there's going to be change they're going to look at it at ways to get better but it, it did come out of nowhere it's honestly kind of unclear it you would assume that the Steelers wanted to move on from Ike Hilliard versus you know there's only 32 of those jobs for receivers coaches but did he want to move on for some reason it's just it's very vague and, and murky right now all we know is that uh he's out Frisman Jackson is in and uh I guess you know just given my old knowledge of the uh mid 90s or, or 2000s giants i'm only surprised that he wasn't replaced by amani tumor <laughs> those that, those teams that almost uh, yeah because I, I still remember i had the little electric football men because my father wanted me to not play madden as much because he said video games are destroying your life so as uh, so i but i but that, i had the ravens 2000 team and the giants 2000 those were my first two teams of electronic football men i always remember uh i kill you because he was on that team but uh look looking at this situation brian 
you know, I, I look at this, I see Frisman Jackson, he comes in, you know, he's, he's a young, he's a younger guy, hasn't coached, you know, a, you know, a long, a long time uh, in the NFL. He's kind of bounced between college and the NFL, but he did do a good job with DJ Moore and Roddy Anderson over at, uh, over at Carolina. Um, DJ Moore had, had two 1000 uh, yard seasons with him there. Robbie Anderson had one and they, neither of them had really great quarterbacking. It was Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Donald or old man version of, of Cam Newton there. And I, I have to wonder if maybe that's part of the approach here is that are the Steelers trying to get a guy who can help receivers make the most out of working with quarterbacks that they know just aren't, you know, as, you know, talented with with their arm, talented with their accuracy, but also, you know, in tune with the rest of the offense. Or it could just be as simple as Steelers wide receivers were the most penalized group in the entire league that too. last year at that position. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, whether it was pre-snap, um, you know, after the snap. I mean, they, they, they had a lot of issues in that regard. And when you look at resumes specifically for position coaches in the NFL, it's it's really difficult to decipher sometimes what it all means. If Ike Hilliard gets another job, He's going to have some bullet points on there about the step forward that Deontay Johnson took, Chase right. Claypool's rookie year, and now, look, he's not here anymore. So, to me, if if anything, I mean, the tone that it sets for these guys is just you get you better get comfortable being uh, uncomfortable because maybe they were a little mm. too comfortable last year uh, thinking that they were one of the best units in the league. And, sure, they lost Juju, but, uh, you know, individually – they still had some struggles, as I just mentioned. So it uh, could have just been time for a change. It, it could be uh, a way to signal to these guys that maybe you, you really liked Ike Hilliard. Maybe you were really vibing with him, but maybe you need somebody to, to come in and shake things up a little bit because we need more out of you guys. So uh, James Washington's another one we didn't even mention. He yeah. just never progressed uh, under Hilliard's watch either. So I'm not going to profess to know a ton about what Frisman Jackson's bringing to the table, but Sometimes you just need to change the scenery, especially for young players, and it looks like that's what they're getting here. Certainly, I mean, and like like you were alluding to too, it's not just the on field play; it's the off field stuff. You know, you, you had Deontay Johnson dropping the ball, but no one, no Steeler fan is going to forget soon Chase Claypool pointing with the ball in, in, in against Minnesota Vikings when they needed to spike the ball in the final drive, and then that costing them precious seconds in a game that they lost when the, uh, Ben Roethlisberger was within striking distance of the end zone. Uh, you know, you know moments like that, and then of course him talking about you know maybe we should have you know music in practice or, or, or things things like that. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe Frisman Jackson, again, you neither. I'm not professing, I'm the same as you. I'm not professing like I know who Frisman Jackson is and what kind of a coach that he is and if he's going to be no nonsense about that. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a matter of, hey, we want a new look guy that comes in here and we're going to tell him like, hey, these are the things that we want you to to to, to establish in this new wide receiver room. Um, and I, I do wonder if that's part of the shakeup here is a message sent to these guys. Because again, both Johnson and Claypool are, on, are still on their rookie deals. It might be a message like, "Look, if you want to get a contract after that, you better clean some stuff up, or this we're gonna have we're gonna reload really fast." Yeah, and you also can't overlook that uh, Frisman Jackson has a little bit of a history with Matt Canada, so mm. uh, you know maybe Ike Hilliard and him didn't quite see eye to eye. One of those guys with an extensive NFL resume, the other one who is you know hypothetically the boss in that scenario, not so much of an NFL resume. At least in this case, you're bringing in someone who has familiarity with the offensive coordinator has seen his stuff work, um, you know, better than it did last year in the past. So it uh, never hurts to have some cohesion on your coaching staff, uh, especially if, uh, you know, maybe some people don't think Canada is the guy long-term, but uh, it sure seems like he's coming back for next year. And now he's got somebody he knows and vice versa. 
Yeah, that, that could also be part of the room because, you know, when people, when we talk about coordinating, and I've talked about it on this show before, it's not just about calling plays. It's about being able to get guys at the position, at the positional coach positions to say, hey, you guys are going to come to me with what you think works the best with your guys, what you've gotten out of them, and saying, hey, these are the things that we do well. And then my job as a coordinator is to mash all that into our concepts and our, our, our plan of attack each, each week. So, you know, maybe that was part of it. Cause I mean, you certainly saw, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger yelling at Ike Hilliard on the sideline a couple times late in the season, particularly because Ray Ray McLeod was out there and James Washington wasn't. And it's just like, what's, why was that? I mean, you, you were asking that question on Twitter, just like the rest of America uh, when it came to, when it came to what the heck was going on there. And maybe that's another factor in this is that, it, you know, they, he didn't get enough out of other guys and they had to rely on Ray Ray McLeod so much. Or a guy who's in there, whether it's a maybe it's a normal uh, contributor, you know, missing the hot read, and that's what Ben needed to get the ball out quick. So that, those are things that, when you talk about the Claypool missteps, you talk about that, you talk about Deontay Johnson, you know, his his drop issues arising again at the end of the year at the worst possible time. Uh, those all seem like coaching things to me. And again, to your point, position coaches are they kind of a dime a dozen in the NFL for the most part. Probably. I, I don't know that there's a, a huge variance in terms of the job that you can do there. It's mostly going to come down to the Jimmys and Joes versus the X's and O's when you're coaching ah, you wide receivers, <laughs> running backs, things of that nature. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a spot where the Steelers were expected to be really good, expected to be a bright spot in 2021. Uh, and for a number of reasons, it didn't quite turn out that way. It didn't. Um, but I, I do think it's intriguing to talk about the standing of the Steelers wide receiver room in a historical sense, because for so long, it's just been like, yeah, Steelers wide receivers. They're awesome. They're the best in the, in the division, one of the best in the country. You know, that's what they operate. We're going to talk about that, where they stand now and what the new direction might be without Ben Roethlisberger, because he's been part of that step for 18 years, as far as establishing, you know, what, you know, how good the Steelers receivers are in the NFL. So we'll be talking about that in just a minute here, but first got to talk to you guys about get upside Steelers fans. This is Chris Carter with an incredible app. Everyone who buys gas needs to know about it's called get upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas. Every time they fill up, just download the free get upside app in the app store, or Google play right now. And you can use the promo code touchdown and you get 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. And that's going to be cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using get upside just download the app for free and use promo code touchdown to get 25 cents per gallon or more in your first tank some people who drive a lot are making as much as two or three hundred dollars a year in cash back and there's no catch the cash back gets added right to your account you can then cash out at any time to your bank account paypal e-gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free get upside app and use promo code touchdown to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank again that's promo code touchdown on the get upside app Back here on the Locked On Steelers podcast, I'm Chris Carter here with Brian Batko of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Brian, let's keep talking about this wide receiver room because, you know, everyone's been, ex it's funny because everyone's been excited about both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool at one point or another. Chase Claypool having 13 touchdowns, including the playoffs uh, in his rookie season. A lot of people get excited for that. He had a similar amount of yards, nowhere near similar amount of touchdown production. Deontay Johnson, really good first i'd say what 10 12 games he had this season where he was at least more consistent as far as getting open and catching the ball and then whatever it was and i'd say like in like maybe early to mid-december the, the the drops returned and he became the the liability that he was late last season or late late in 2020 um but what has to happen for this receiver room to kind of get back to being the the group that 
for so long Steelers fans loved. I mean, you went from having in the early 2000s, you had Plaxico Burris and Heinz Ward and Antoine Randall and then Heinz Ward, Randall Then you had San Antonio Holmes and then San Antonio Holmes left. You got Mike Wallace and Antonio Brown and Emmanuel Sanders. Then eventually it was Antonio Brown and uh, and Martavis Bryant. And then Juju comes and then these guys come in. And now you're at this state where it's kind of like you've, you've had this really good run of production there. Is, is this kind of a place where that cuts off because maybe the team isn't focusing as much on the passing game while they rebuild the defense and maybe make this a stronger ground game. Yeah, no, I mean, I still think these guys can, can produce at, at a high level. I mean, you just look at the physical traits. Deontay Johnson was unguardable at times this year. I mean, he still uh, went for a thousand plus yards, made the pro bowl as an alternate, but the, the skills are, are there. The athletic gifts are there. He fit in really well with late stage Ben Roethlisberger. Cause we know it was all about getting the ball out quick and, throw short and run long that's Deontay Johnson's game a guy who didn't mesh quite as well maybe with Ben's skill set late in his career was Chase Claypool I feel like there were a lot of deep ball chances that sometimes Claypool couldn't quite come down with it sometimes Ben couldn't quite get it there so I think no matter what happens to get the most out of this group they're just going to need to be on the same page with whoever's under center that wasn't always the case with those guys and Ben of course they were younger he's a little bit a lot older in the game and you know, didn't have that same rapport. He's working with a bunch of guys, save for Juju, who he barely knew. Remember Deontay Johnson's rookie year, Ben was out with the elbow injury. So um, they, they got to get on the same page with whoever it is, whether it's a guy coming back, Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins, or if it's somebody new from the outside. If, if it's a rookie, that'd be an interesting dynamic because, like I just said, these couple guys, assuming Juju's not back, they don't have all that much experience with winning, at least winning at a high level in the NFL either. So if it's a veteran, uh, that would be intriguing in its own right. But uh, they, they need to, they need to mesh well with the physical and kind of the, you know, X's and O's aspect of whoever the uh, replacement is for seven. Yeah, that, that's a big part of this. And, and it's something that I think might be a little bit bigger than people are are, are considering in this offseason. While we're all talking about the importance of finding a new quarterback and all that. But, you know, if how much investment should you put into a receiver group when, you know, when you're trying to rebuild so much, you're trying to get a new offensive line. You maybe need you probably need a new center, a uh, new offensive tackle, uh, maybe a new offensive guard along with that. And whether that's free agency or the draft. And then you're still looking at De De Devin Bush, getting him a partner or being prepared if Devin Bush is just going to play like he did in 2021 for the rest of his career. You're going to need a new cornerback, whether that's Witherspoon or Hayden or the guy that replaces, you know, them or, or both, you know, a combination of those things. And that, you know, and that still doesn't include other depth pieces. You need to sign Tr Terrell Edmonds or a replacement for him there's a lot of things you have to consider but the wide receiver room is kind of one that the Steelers haven't had to think too much about in recent years and it's odd you know I'm looking at this and I'm thinking like they just drafted Chase Claypool two years ago and Deontay Johnson the year after that the year before that and, and Juju Smith-Schuster the year before that. like 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 this they shouldn't need to do this but maybe they do need to to do this because they they maybe they need to put an influx of talent in there. This is a good receiver class. I think there's a lot of talented guys, but how much emphasis do you think they should put on it regardless of if if they get Mason Rudolph at quarterback or Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback or say Aaron Rodgers at quarterback? I think if Juju comes back and mm -hmm. I wouldn't be too eager to try to make that happen. I think he's going to want more than the Steelers will be comfortable offering him mm -hmm. and wasn't doing a whole lot um, in this offense before his injury anyway, maybe through no fault of his own. Maybe that's just what they were asking of him. But if that's what you're asking of him, 
you know, don't pay him $8 million a year to do that. So um, assuming he's not back, I, I would like to see probably a top three or four round pick uh, on getting a new receiver in here. The, the other part of that conversation that you alluded to, I wouldn't be real comfortable giving a second contract to Deontay Johnson. You know, I don't think you should force that. We know that over the years, the Steelers haven't done that for a lot of wideouts other than AB. Um, you know, you can kind of say they did that with Juju, but we know it was a weird situation. Right. Came back on a one-year deal. So, you know, you had asked me two months ago, I would have said it looked like Deontay Johnson's, you know, playing himself into a, a nice another four-year deal here. But I wouldn't feel comfortable uh, doing that, at least not for probably what he'll be worth on the open market to another team because I just haven't seen it enough. I haven't seen those number one receiver qualities and traits. Best case scenario is you get a rookie in here who can play right away. And, and like you said, it's another good receiver draft class. We've been saying that every year because guys are just more ready <laughs> coming out of college to, to play the spot in the pros than they ever have been before. Um, so it's a good class. So you get somebody in here who's new, fresh, can help you out, maybe with some speed. I think their offense has been lacking that, especially at wide receivers. So you get a guy like that, and then I think best case is Chase Claypool kind of returns the form the way he was his rookie year. Maybe that's your guy that you lock up long-term if he proves to be a true number one. But clearly he's still got a long way to go. He does, and I think that's a, that's definitely part of the conversation when it comes to, you know, building. You want to make sure that the guys that you want in the locker room are guys that you want in the locker room, not not just guys that just happen to be, oh, well, he's kind of talented. We're going to keep him around. But then, you know, because you give that second contract, like you said, you know, your Juju got a kind of temporary one, but Antonio Brown got that second contract. I mean, other than that, what Heinz Ward is the only other one that was brought back for long-term money. Um, you know, the, the Steelers have been so used to just use and recycle you know, wide receivers. And, you know, that was a kind of a calling card for Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin for quite some time, um, even more so just Kevin Colbert before Mike Tomlin. But with this being, you know, most likely Kevin Colbert's last year, I I'm intrigued back, Brian, if, if, if you're going to see, uh, if, if you're going to see kind of the Steelers maybe take a step back from being able to recruit, you know, to find wide receivers, unless Brandon Hunt or Lewis Rick or whoever takes over the 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 GM, the GM position or the you know the personnel uh, department, is that something that that you see maybe becomes laxed in the coming years? I mean, I think that their ability to find wide receivers in the draft, you know, sometimes high up, but more often mid to late rounds, is was part evaluation skills on, on the part of Kevin Colbert and his staff, but also, I mean, it's part luck. Let's, let's not lie about yeah. that. The draft is a crapshoot to some degree. It's an inexact science. James Washington was a second rounder. They did not hit on It's It's yeah. pretty clear to say that at this point. I mean, he, he had everything that you would look for. I mean, he had college production. He had, you know, ability to, to stretch the field and it just, he never took that next step. So Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool been good, but to some degree, like we just talked about, the jury is still out. So um, I, I just think it's uh, it's one of those situations where you, you do need an influx of talent. Um, it would have been great if Juju could have been that next guy to kind of carry on the tradition from yeah. Hines to AB and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, injuries got in the way. Um, you know, I think some of his own uh, lack of production got in the way, but uh, yeah, th this this unit's at a, a crossroads I didn't necessarily expect because I thought it was one of the best position groups on the team coming into last year. I thought they were underrated nationally and league-wide, but mm -hmm. uh, clearly much more middle of the pack at best, and uh, the, the Steelers are going to kind of have to reckon with that. Let, let's also point out, too, last time they tried to kind of go from outside the organization and bring in a, a bigger-name free agent at receiver, 
Dante Moncrief didn't even make it through the season before yeah. struggling with drops Jeez. and everything. He was he was useless and not a good fit here. Right. And, and I mean, that was a guy who was a speedster. Everyone was really excited about him. And then he injured his hand one time and then he was just Mr. Drops. It was just it was just bad all around. So, I mean, like you're, you're absolutely right. The Steelers have had plenty of misses when it comes to trying to go after a wide, a wide receiver, um, you know, as you know. But, you know, but I, again, they found success. The question, I think, for, for this offseason will be, you know, do you bank on these guys be part of that future success? And how well do these guys play in an offense that's going to depend on probably a less than franchise caliber quarterback? You know, when you're looking at the likely all likelihood that they're going to, you know, probably start in Mason Rudolph or a rookie in a, in, in a QB class that's not that highly talented or a veteran that they sign in free agency who isn't, you know, a superstar. Um, you know, and I think that's one thing that the past several wide receiver groups have benefited from. They had Ben Roethlisberger, you know, and as much as you and I are, uh, we're, we're a lot more open about talking about Ben Roethlisberger's mistakes than I think a lot of people are. Um, but you know, when it, when it comes down to it, I mean, a lot of times Mike Wallace, he was a star with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, I remember ESPN used to compare him to Calvin Johnson with some of the numbers he put up. And then as soon as he left for Miami, he was nowhere near that. And then, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is probably the one guy who made it work because he was able to be consistent. He, plus he went to Peyton Manning. That was, that certainly helped as well. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what, where the legacy of Steelers wide receivers is after, you know, the, for the better part of two decades, it was considered like that they were wide receiver university of the NFL. And Wallace was a perfect fit for the quarterback that Ben was at that time. Huge mm -hmm. arm, get, get him behind the defense, take the top off and, you know, they'll both make you pay. So uh, that that's obviously just not the quarterback he's been since the injury. And uh, just the, I guess the last thing, the bottom line, I, I think, you know, I sort of touched on it before. I do think in, in today's NFL, this is a position that you can kind of turn things over quickly uh, and, and find that next guy and, and find new talent. So we'll, we'll see if that's ultimately the way that the Steelers have to go with these wide receivers. But uh, if they don't, it'll be a shame because, you know, just at the beginning of, of last year, there was so much promise and uh, it seemed like they had a really bright future together. It, it is it is a shame that, and we will see where they go um it's also of course important to talk about you know the, the team you know losing daryl drake you know a few years ago in the, in the in the tragic way that they did and then having to bring in ray sherman and maybe that played a role in the shaking up of that wide receiver room that was extremely young um but they they need to kind of reestablish some stability there certainly moving forward but i want to talk to brian about some defense in a bit here because terrell austin was made official the defensive coordinator we all knew that was the case the reports were out we knew that was the case but i i want to talk to brian about his thoughts about austin being officially named and what kind of changes we might see in the defense because there's some interesting perspectives uh that i think that some people have offered as far as what the defense actually looks like so we'll do that in just a minute but first i gotta talk to you guys about betonline.net BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march to the Super Bowl with the big game in just a couple days. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live, real-time updates and current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new and amazing offers available for the 2022 season at BetOnline, where the game starts.
Back here on the Locked On Steelers podcast, I'm Chris Carter. He's Brian Batko from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We are continuing to talk about the Steelers, but flipping from the wide receiver room to the defense because Terrell Austin was named officially the defensive coordinator. It's no secret. We I talked about this on the Monday episode of this week. Um, I, you know, Brian, we've known this. Jerry Dulac from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, uh, you know, broke this and, you know, it's been known, but it's there's now the question as far as a lot of people are saying, what's the defense even going to look like? You know, they, a lot of, some people look back and they say, Oh, Terrell Austin, his, uh, his last defense with Cincinnati wasn't that good. He was giving up 500 yard games and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, but when you look at the secondary's production with the Steelers, I, I think that speaks well to what he's been able to do in at least that group alone. Um, I, I also think that, you know, it, you know, as much as people are saying like, he's not, he's not going to call the plays well, before we get into the, the rankings or anything. What's your take on because everyone you know talks about Mike Tomlin has called the plays since Dick LeBeau and you know and and, and no defensive defensive coordinator just stands around. I wanted to hear your take on that and how much that'll apply to Terrell Austin's role. That doesn't bother me too much. I mean, I think there's there's so many coaches across the league who call the plays on one side or the other. You you do see it more on offense, but Tomlin cut his teeth in this league coaching mm-hmm. defense, so that makes sense. You know, he did. It's not something he did right away when he got here, but it's it's something that he worked his way into, and clearly thought it was best for the organization. Now you can debate that much, but uh, we know he wants to win football games, so he wouldn't be doing that uh, if he didn't think that that's what was best for the Steelers. So uh, I'll be curious to see if if he comments on this, Chris, because uh, you know you've been there in the past where he's mm-hmm. kind of sort of been asked about the actual order of operations on game day uh, and how that all works. And he never really wants to speak on it. He usually says he doesn't want to peel back the curtain on that, but Keith Butler has, you know, didn't have a problem doing that uh, after retirement. So (laughs) I think that, I think it got overblown a little bit because as you uh, kind of mentioned there jokingly, he didn't just stand around. He he didn't have a uh, Eaton park menu in his hand. Uh, I think it was, (laughs) you know, if you listen to the players he coached, especially in the front seven, he was doing a lot to dial up that pressure. He was instrumental in their blitz packages. They've led the league in sacks, what, five years in a row now? Five so, years. If anything, you know, that that's a lot to replace in, in your pseudo-defensive coordinator. So, uh, but, <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, if you want to look at it from a positive perspective, Terrell Austin was already doing a lot, um, you know, at practice. He is very involved with making the calls and helping guys out on the back end. And, and I think they've been grooming him for this ever since they hired him and gave him that senior defensive assistant title that's uh, a little bit out of the ordinary for the Steelers and mm-hmm. uh, in that sense this was a long time coming right and that's the thing when you know I, I think Mark Caboli tweeted out at one point he was like basically he was he's been the about to be defensive coordinator since 2019 when they hired him you know it's, it's kind of a, and you are right I mean there's so many practices that we saw where you know you'd see him you know as soon as as soon as Terrell Edmonds um and you know and Minka Fitzpatrick's roles were done they'd walk right to him and they just and then they would just pick his brain and he would be telling them what they what they didn't do or what they need to do and, and those type of things and we've heard Minka Fitzpatrick on the calls he would be he'd be adamant you know we don't want people to know how good this guy is because he's really doggone good um and uh, you know, I, I still think that a lot of people out there that are just like, oh, he's an internal hire. This was lazy. They didn't really, do, you know, do their due diligence. They they're just hiring. So I, I feel like people are just complaining to complain at that point. You don't know how good Terrell Austin's going to be with this with the Steelers defense. You know, it you know if, if you want to point to guys who had failures before they came and lit it up with the Steelers, go look at Dick LeBeau. He didn't do well with the Bengals when he became their head coach. Came back to the Steelers and drew up. You know, he was one of the best defensive coordinators in the history of football with them. I and I'm not saying Terrell Austin's going to have that kind 
kind of impact on the defense. But I am saying it, I don't think that it's fair to him to just label him as just a meh, lazy move by the Steelers. This won't work out at all. And in some sense, I mean, he, he's got more experience at this even than, than Keith Butler because he's yep. run a defense himself at, at previous stops. Um, as you acknowledged, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But uh, unlike some of the other internal hires that, you know, were lambasted maybe fairly, he does have legitimate NFL experience on his resume. He's far more qualified for this position, regardless of if he was on staff or not uh, already, than Matt Canada was when he was promoted, or Adrian Clem when he was promoted, or even Sean Surrett when he was promoted. So uh, that that part of it doesn't, uh, you know, make much of an imp- doesn't move the meter much for me. And you know, to get back to what his role is actually going to be, how it's going to intersect with Tomlin's role. I almost look at it like this, Chris. Uh, Tell me if you think this is kind of on point or not. Okay. So Tomlin, the defensive play caller, that's kind of what I would label him, in addition to obviously being the head coach. Mm -hmm. Keith Butler was kind of the front seven defensive coordinator, and Terrell Austin has been that secondary defensive coordinator. So I I think that was already a collective effort from those three guys, and now one of them is uh, riding off into the sunset, and I think the other two are probably on the same page with a lot of what they want. Actually, I think that's a very good description of what the Steelers were doing because, you know, like you said, and again, and I said, even if it wasn't, even if Keith Butler was the whole coordinator that put together the secondary and the defensive front, that's part of what's indicated, but we know it's not always that simple. There's not many teams out there who have co-defensive coordinators. Exactly. And, and, and you don't want to, and you don't want to cause even more suspicion or people asking, well, what's this about? It's just, Hey, you, we, we have a guy that had been in, in wait for, and the other thing is also the politics of it. Keith Butler turned down several jobs while Highly he was respected working. guy in the franchise and exactly. well, well-deserved. And, and, and he wanted that opportunity to be defensive coordinator. It's just that Mike Tomlin's like, Hey, this is how we run the show. Um, and I, I do think that that makes a lot of sense because one thing people, a lot of people, and I've said this several times in the show by now, but a lot of people think that the coordinator, it's just like, it's just Madden. It's just, Hey, you just call the plays for the defense. It's not, it's not that simple. The coordinator's job primarily is to put together the game plan. And it's, it's what we talk about with the offense. You know, you want to make sure that like, like how Matt Canada needs to have a good relationship with each of his positional coaches on offense to say, Hey, we're going to put all these plans together. It's the same thing with the defense. You need to make sure your defensive lines on point with Carl Dunbar. You need to make sure the secondary is on point with Terrell Austin. You need to make sure the linebackers are on point with Jerry Osowski and then put all that together and say, all right, what's the best plan of attack that we can have to disrupt the, the upcoming offenses. And that's a, that's a factor here. And I, I also think it's important to note, you know, a lot of people, People are saying like, oh, the Steelers play. It's the play calling on defense that works. That's terrible. I'm not so sure that play calling is the issue. Most of the Steelers problems have come defensively when there's been, you know, they've lost the war of attrition where they've just lost a lot of the wrong pieces at the wrong time. You know, their run defense fell off the cliff this year because they suffered a lot of injuries up front. Um, on the defensive line, and then Devin Bush couldn't get back to where he was before his ACL injury. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you look at 2020 against the Browns, you know, they missing Bud Dupree, missing Devin Bush, missing Joe Hayden, you know, all, all those guys. Terrell Edmonds wasn't playing as, as he had been earlier that season after he got COVID. Um, same for Vince Williams. A lot of things have just happened, I think, in inopportune moments. But it, it was Josh Taylor who I had on the show yesterday, um, Josh Taylor from KDKA TV. He pointed out, he said, Chris, of the last 29 wins over the last three seasons that the Steelers that the Steelers have had, he said, of, the, of those 29 wins, 22 of them came in games where opponents scored 20 points or less and the Steelers won the turnover battle. If you're, 
if you're talking about basically winning, you know, and he said there were 24 times that it happened. He said when they over the last three years, they're 22 one and one when they hold a team to 20 points or less and win the turnover battle. First of all, that's ridiculous. That means every year you're basically getting half the season where the defense just crushes somebody's soul. And uh, and, and and it shows when you think about 22, it means they had seven wins where their defense wasn't playing at an elite level. I think that shows that the defense is a big reason why this team even remains competitive at all. Yeah, I mean, you look around the league right now, the, the days of dominant defenses are basically over. I mean, the, yeah. the 49ers were were challenging that in this postseason, but they were. Uh, ultimately they didn't, they didn't get it done. You know, people want to talk about, well, it's still defense that wins championships. Eh. Not really. Um, opportunistic defense, maybe like the Bengals in the second half against the Chiefs, but they're not a team built around their defense, obviously. And clearly, um, you know, the Rams are good on defense, but you know they, they made so many uh, adjustments to get better on offense. So uh, I look at it as you know, the playoff failures for the Steelers defensively over the last, what, five years. Nobody should feel good about that. Nobody should no. feel safe with that. I mean, that's that's ultimately what every season hinges on. But I wasn't covering the team before 2019, but from what I've heard, a lot of the issues when, when they were really struggling back then, especially in pass coverage, you heard a lot about miscommunications between players and, you know, busts and in, in coverage. Yeah. I feel like I've heard less of that since Terrell Austin took over. So that's, that's mm -hmm. a point for him. I would, I would say in the job that he's done so far with the Steelers. Now the run defense last year, uh, <laughs> very, very bad. And it, it reminds me of something that Keith Butler told us one Thursday morning in his weekly presser. And, uh, you know, it made a lot of sense to me was that when they do design those game plans that you were talking about every week, him, Tomlin, Terrell Austin, I'm sure the other defensive coaches get input there too. Butler's a former NFL linebacker. He's coached linebackers his whole career mm -hmm. in the NFL. He's been with the Steelers since 2003. Mike Tomlin came in from the outside in 2007. Right. He's been coaching defensive backs his whole career. Butts didn't say all that, but his point was that I'm a, I'm a stop the run guy first. I'm a linebacker D line guy first. Mike's a, a secondary guy first. And so, and he's the boss basically. So I think that does go into, you know, the overall plan each week. And, you know, now one half of that equation or, or a third, whatever you want to call it is no longer there. And the onus is going to be even more on Tomlin to get this thing figured out more consistently. Because like you said, the regular season success has been there. Um, they, they can't take a step back on defense at, at this point. No, exactly. No, um, I, I think that's a huge part of this, a, a huge part of what the, the Steelers are, are looking at, uh, with, 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 you know, Terrell Austin taking over and with Keith, but what Keith Butler was doing, absolutely. He, he was more that, I mean, I mean, I remember the, the, the report that Keith Butler was banging the table to get Dante Hightower in the, in the, I think it was the 20, whenever they drafted David DeCastro, he really, he wanted that, he wanted that input. And that was before he was defensive coordinator. Um, but you, you are right. I think everyone has different roles and different styles of coaching. I think it's going to be very intriguing to see where, um, you know, how how things play forward with who kind of you know, where does where does, how does this team continue to develop? Does this team continue to be one of the best you know pass rushing units in the NFL um, or the best pass rushing unit? They have they've had the most sacks for five straight years. You can't you can't beat that uh, when it comes to pass rushing. But does they take a step back there in favor of something else? But you are absolutely right. Communication has not been the issue. I, I That was one of my biggest questions uh, when I started getting into the Steelers locker room. I think it was like 2017 was the first year that I got to like be around the team a little bit more. And 
you know, one of my biggest questions was always communication because that was such an issue. There's always a breakdown, whether it was Mike Mitchell or Artie Burns or, you know, whoever was in the secondary at that time, Antoine Blake or whoever in the mid 2010s. Um, but that hasn't been an issue. It's been, you know, hey, talent, they, they, we got beaten in this situation. We were supposed to be here. Uh, we, we, we were here, but we got we just lost this, this, this spot or this guy just beat us here or we had to try to help against the run. And that guy kind of messed us up a little bit. I do think that's one of the, the biggest challenges for Terrell Ter Austin is going to be balancing what they're trying to do in that secondary and what he wants to make them, how he wants to make them a turnover group to, to get the turnovers and to make the big plays while not compromising what the Steelers traditionally, when you think of the Pittsburgh Steelers is that they stop the run and they sack the quarterback balancing those two identities to make whatever his defense will be known as in Pittsburgh. And certainly it helps to have Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end, right? His addition <laughs> coincided with Terrell Austin taking over as the secondary coach. So, but that works both ways. You, you've got to have talent. You've got to have guys coaching them up and getting the most out of them. So um, yeah, in terms of, you know, scheming up the, uh, the pass rush, I, I think to, you know, to some degree I could coach the Steelers on that. I say, Hey, number 90, <laughs> go um, get him. Just go run past that uh, right tackle and go get the guy with the ball. All right, cool. Great. <laughs> hey, 97, come here, come here, come here. Beat him. Beat him with an inch of his life, and, and, and then go get the quarterback. <laughs> but I'm not saying I, I, that's all Keith Butler was doing, but I'm saying Brian <laughs> Batko could at least uh, instruct those two guys for a season and, and probably get a decent amount of production out of them. Certainly, but um, you know, but I I do think it's going to be interesting to see what their attitude is there. I mean, we still have to see you know who kind of takes over if if anyone does in you know kind of a pass rush coordinator almost for the Steelers because you still got Carl Dunbar, you still got Jerry Osofsky with uh you know his wife passed away, so he had to kind of leave the team in the middle of the season. We'll see what's what's the identity of the Steelers, and also with the surprise departure of Ike Hilliard, is there such a move coming for the defense? You know, I think there's a lot of things coming, and you still have to find an offensive line coach. So lots of questions there. But I think the bottom line is, you know, I, people presuming what Terrell Austin's defense is going to look like for the Steelers, I, I think, are fooling themselves. You might see the same sort of play calls, but there might be a different kind of concepts and uh, just, I guess, emphasis on what the Steelers defense is about to win games. Uh, again, that, that Steelers defense has carried them to most of their wins of the last three seasons um, and basing off of how they're looking right now, going into the NFL draft and free agency on offense, they're going to need to do so in the next couple seasons as well. Brian, thanks so much for joining us here on the lockdown Steelers podcast. You're always a wonderful guest. You do great work at the Pittsburgh post Gazette. Let people they can find you, follow you and get more of your work. Yeah. Post hyphen gazette.com slash Steelers. Take you to our Steelers landing page. Uh, it's, it's in the off season, but we've still got plenty of stuff going up there. Twitter's just my name right there. Brian Batco. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, Carter. It's it's always a good time, man. Same here, same here. Uh, check out Brian Batco and all the work that they do at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. They are amazing at what they do. I'm Chris Carter, host of the Locked On Steelers podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carter Critiques. You can find this show on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, and YouTube. If you're watching this video on YouTube, hit the like button. It helps us out. Also, you can subscribe to our channel for all of our daily content. If you want to help us out further, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review with a positive comment, and you will get a shout out at the end of the show. Thanks, thanks so much again to Brian for coming on for the Thursday episode of Locked On Steelers podcast. We'll have Jenna Harner wrapping up the weekend. We'll finally talk about the Super Bowl and get you our predictions on that, getting you ready for the weekend. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be back in your ears and on your screens very soon.